Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through it. And this morning, Lord, as we, uh, as we come, I, I pray that you will um, be at work, moving our hearts by your spirit, helping us to see your goodness in the gospel, and then moving us towards a life that does um, please you, a life that does live out what we believe uh, in our faith. And so I do pray that now, and uh, I pray that, um, yeah, you'll speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, one of the things I've noticed over the last few years is this uh, rise in this legitimate career, a career known as a life coach. Now, I don't know if any of you here are life coaches, but I went online. I, I, I see it a lot online a lot, especially on my social media, people I know becoming life coaches. I googled it, and it's, uh, it's become a really popular career option. Uh, I've grown, grown a lot in recent times. Uh, if you're experiencing, for example, a lack of motivation, if you're experiencing irritability, a lack of fulfillment in your social or romantic life, high levels of stress or dissatisfaction at work. If you're unable to break bad habits, then maybe you should consider a life coach. That's what they do. They help people overcome obstacles that hold you back. They come up with strategies about achieving goals and success and thriving, all that sort of stuff. Helping in other areas such as dieting and health, from, uh, from dieting and health to career and financial management to dating and relationships. Essentially, a life coach wants to help a person flourish and unlock their potential. Very much like what a self-help book would do uh, for the reader. Now, it got me thinking, I wonder if I could be a life coach. With my life experience, I wonder if someone would actually listen to what I have to say that would help them get ahead in life. I sound cynical, don't I? I am cynical. I think 50 years ago, what we'd call a life... I'm sorry if you're a life coach here today. I am a bit cynical. I think 50 years ago, we called life coaches our dads, perhaps, our siblings, our good friends. They were the ones who help us, teach us how to do life. Now you've got to pay someone to give you advice. I guess that's sort of necessary in our day and age. However, what I think... Uh, what I think the life coaching thing has tapped into is this idea that every human being wants. We all want to flourish in life, don't we? We all want to thrive in life. 
I think being in a postmodern world that we live in, we're told to achieve a lot, aren't we? We're told to kick goals, find a job that's both your passion and pays really well. You know, to, to express your individuality and not conform to society, to seek out dreams and ambitions and have it all figured out before your 30s. Right? That's what we're told. That's our cultural narrative. And so, of course, people are going to feel, what, what did I say earlier? People are going to feel like they've hit obstacles. They're going to feel like they have no motivation. They're going to feel irritability because the cultural narrative is telling you, you need to have done all these things in your life to have a successful life. I am cynical. And life coaches are tapping into that. That's our cultural narrative. And it makes sense. They've really hit that niche, haven't they? Helping people to thrive, helping people to flourish. A life coach helps a person to do life. Now, while that, put that aside for a second, if I were to ask you as a church, if, I, if we were as a church, we were going to thrive and flourish, what would that look like? How do we do life together? Well, guess what? There are a lot of organizations, first of all. There are a lot of organizations out there that exist that help churches identify obstacles, do reviews, clarify goals, come up with strategies, seek to get healthy with the hope of flourishing and unlocking their potential. There are a lot of great organizations out there. Church consultancy, that's what they call it. And I'm, you know, I actually support them. They're great because there are churches that are in a rut and they need help to move forward. They need external eyes to help them and consult with them. But before we even get to that step, and maybe we might need to do it one day if we ever get into a rut, but before we even get to that step, what if we were to come back to the Bible and actually follow the Bible's directions on how we can flourish, how we can thrive as a church community? What would if we were obedient to the Scriptures so that we could thrive in our faith? Wouldn't that be what we're, isn't that what we're on about here? Isn't that what we want? A healthy, flourishing church that we're part of? Paul finishes the book of Thessalonians with this series of commands in really quick succession. This is how the church in Thessalonica can flourish in their faith together in community in light of eternity. And I want us to consider if these are uh, the, the commands given to the church then, then how will we today uh, consider how to live out our faith as God's church in 2022? going into 2023? How can we flourish in our faith together as we await the return of Christ in our world and our context? The key word there, we're going to see throughout this passage, uh, together is the key word here. We're going to see that throughout this passage as we do unity and love and life together so that we can be a flourishing and thriving community. Now today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Every week I'm here and I preach um, you know, the, the whole time, we're going to do things a bit differently today. Today, I'm going to actually invite Megan, our staff worker. She's going to get up here to assist me to preach this service, uh, sermon. Uh, she's got a lot of wisdom. And so I've invited her to speak into the space to help us think together again. So it's not just me thinking, us together, how we can practically consider pra um, practicing some of these commands together. I'll get her up in a second. But let me explain a little bit about this passage first before we get into more the practical, concrete stuff. Uh, let's remember the context of this letter. So if you have this, your Bibles open, it's always good to follow along. Um, we've been talking to the Thessalonian church. Paul has been writing. He's the author. He's been writing to the Thessalonian church. They've been Christians for only about 12 to 18 months at this point. Paul's writing this letter to them. Paul is the guy who planted the church in this city. They're a young church. Uh, and he only stayed in this church for three weeks before he had to skedaddle out of there because of persecution. Right? He had to get out of there, escape. Um, and so this church was left on their own. 12 to 18 months later, he's writing this letter to encourage them. Keep on going. Keep living out the faith, the hope and love that you have in light of eternity, in light of the gospel of Jesus that has saved you and the promises that we have of eternal life. Keep persevering even in the face of opposition, even when it gets hard. And so he closes this chapter now. He closes this book 
with these commands, how to, you know, in quick succession, how do we live this out together to thrive and flourish and stand firm as God's people? So let's get into it. Uh, in seeing a healthy church thrive, the first thing he wants us to say, he wants to say to us, verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Yeah, first out of, the first out of these commands um, Paul wants is the church to acknowledge their leaders. This, this, word, could be, um, this word of acknowledging could be also uh, read as respect or give recognition to. Uh, this language of working hard, caring for, admonishing, that's really alluding generally to the, to the leaders of the church. So we're thinking the elders, the pastors of the church uh, in, that, in that time. Those who have a role to shepherd God's people who are to admonish, which really means to warn or advise, to warn or advise each other uh, in this language of building up the body of Christ, the people of Christ. You see, the role of every Christian is to care for one another. Like We know that in other parts of the Bible, uh, but the church also had structures in place, right? Just like we have a structure uh, where there are leaders like elders that manage and, and protect and guide the people. In our church setting, we have volunteer elders. So we have Billy and Luke who are our elders, and I'm an elder here too. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the pastor there also. I'm financially supported, but, uh, you know, so I can be freed up to, to serve the church full-time in a full-time capacity. Um, but that's our role. We're called to shepherd and lead the church. Now, we lead and shepherd under a, a, our chief shepherd, Jesus. He's our chief shepherd. He's my pastor. Jesus is my pastor. He leads our church. But we are given that role to lead others. Paul is saying to the Thessalonian church, these elders in your church, they work hard to care for you and to admonish you. Show them uh, acknowledgement. Show them recognition. Uh, love them because of their work, it says. And I think if we uh, understand this correctly, we'd know why Paul is saying it. Think about our culture and context. We don't give much respect to people in authority roles, do we? I mean, uh, especially in Australia, uh, especially with politicians. We, we give them a hard time. Uh, what's the term? Po tall, tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? The whole idea of cutting each other down so that people don't get a big head. We don't want people to get arrogant and all that, so we just cut each other down all the time, even those in authority. We don't give them the respect. This happens in church too. It happens all the time in churches, and, and not even in Australian churches too. I've heard accounts of people in churches who say, I don't want to give my pastor any encouragement. I don't want them to get you know, proud and arrogant. And while that might happen with some pastors, can we all agree, though, that pastors are still human? Pastors could still do with encouragement like any other human being who needs it. I get, too, that we live in a world where there have been many instances and examples of bad leaders, narcissistic leaders, manipulative leaders, people in power who abuse their power and bullied people. Again, that sadly exists in churches, too. And there are many pastors and leaders of churches that destroy churches and hurt people. And I would totally not want you or anyone to encourage or acknowledge or respect a leadership that's sinful like that, that takes advantage of others. Call it out as it is. But what Paul is saying here is if you have a pastor who's working hard to love and admonish and care for the people, not for their own glory, but for the glory of God, not for their reputation, but for God's reputation, for, for, the, for, for the gospel, not so they'll get puffed up, but because they genuinely want to love you and serve our Lord Jesus, shouldn't we acknowledge them? Shouldn't we give them recognition and love them too? For the church and for Paul, the understanding of elder isn't about men in power abusing their power. Elders in the early church were called to be servant leaders. In the same way, we too call our elders to be servant leaders like Jesus. 
leaders who sacrifice their time and energy to see others grow and flourish. So Paul wants to command, command the church, hey, don't forget these guys who serve you and love you. Show them some love. I have a verse on the screen, I think, Hebrews 13, 7, 17. Uh, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. They're responsible. They're accountable. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I love that because it's the idea like, don't you want to encourage your leaders and make their job a bit easier, giving, you know, allowing them to have a, a joyful experience of leading the church rather than burning out and bitter and grumpy? If you have leaders in the church who are making sacrifices to care for people, but the church is acting opposite of love, instead taking advantage of their leaders, not giving any encouragement, constantly criticizing, pointing out every flaw and mistake, do you think the ministry, the leaders of the church, will find it joyful to serve? Will end up bitter and burnt out. Let me encourage you to encourage your leaders who do work hard and sacrifice their time for you. And they do, they do it. They, I, I do believe they do it here at Providence. I've witnessed it. And I'm not just talking about our elders. I also want to extend that definition to other leaders in our church, those who give countless hours to volunteering their time uh, to serve others, to manage teams here, to lead our missional community groups, to love people, to sacrifice their time, to invest in caring for others. I want to acknowledge them now. Thank you. Keep going. I want to love them, don't you? Acknowledge and respect them is a good thing for the whole church family. It helps the church to thrive and flourish. Now, it is awkward for me, I'm the pastor, to talk about this and how you can love your leaders. Love me, guys, please. I'm not, I'm not, trying to, I'm not desperate for your love. I, I, yes, I get my love from God, but I do get encouragement from you guys as well. I do need that as a human being. But you can read books and articles about it, how you can love your pastor more. I'll let you do that in your own time. I'm going to have Megan come up, though, and Megan's going to give us a few more examples to consider how we can apply these commands, this first one in verse 12 to 13. Megan, you got a stool? I'll give you a mic. Hi. Um... Hi guys, uh, thanks, Mikey. Um, these are these are these first verses. They're important for us to navigate, aren't they? Uh, thinking through how to love and respect our leaders. That's where we've we've got to, um, especially like Mikey was saying, because of our society's kind of unhelpful example of uh, being really quick to cancel imperfect leaders. Um, but also because if you look up the burnout rates of pastors, uh, it's actually really disturbing. Um, it's a dangerous job. Uh, if, if, we, uh, if we are a family, if we are a body together as a church, um, then our leaders burning out, it isn't um, something that's just an issue for our elders to think about. Um, it's something that we can work on as a whole church family, that we need to work on and as a whole church family, supporting and respecting and loving our leaders. Um, so what can it look like to hold in highest regard our leaders in love? Um, partly it's that attitude of respect uh, towards our leaders. Uh, do we assume the best about our leaders and their ministry, even when they're doing things maybe differently than we would? Uh, do we talk about them in ways that build them up, even when they're not there? Uh, what, do we, what do we do when we see flaws in our leaders and in their ministry? Um, how do we respect them then? Do we talk about them or to them uh, with our concerns or with our hurts? Uh, 
I think we need to be really thoughtful about feedback and criticism um, and the way that we, we can do that respectfully for our leaders. Uh, sometimes it's, it's necessary to share constructive criticism, for sure, it's important. Um, but the reality also is that our leaders, um, and especially Mikey and our elders, um, they're, they're already carrying around a bucket of criticism um, that's been building up over the years. Uh, yeah, both from, from others, and uh, to be honest, when you're doing ministry where it's hard to tell if you're doing a good job or not, uh, it can set the scene for self-criticism as well, so that bucket of criticism can be quite large. Um, yeah, I think we need to assume that we might be in straw that breaks the camel's back kind of territory when we're thinking about uh, how to give feedback and criticism to our leaders. Um, and I'm not saying just sit on things and sit in bitterness. Uh, there's, there's times to speak up, there's times to speak up, but um, that, that flaw or mistake that you see, uh, can it inform your prayers? Can it inform the ways that you pitch in to help? Uh, does it have to come back as criticism? Uh, what would be the loving and respectful way that we can think about this together as a church as we want to, uh, as we want to grow together? Um, our leaders and even our pastor, um, they're parts of our body as a church family. That's how God talks about us. Uh, and they need to be built up and encouraged in love just as much as anyone else if they're going to flourish uh, and be able to lead well. Um, our leaders might spend lots of time inviting and checking in on others and, and maybe they're not invited or checked in on themselves as much. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know how to love the leaders around you, just ask them. Even, even asking them will be an encouragement to them. Uh, ask your MCG leader how you can be helpful to the group. Um, or ask them how, what refreshes them and what encourages them. Ask your uh, ministry team leader how you can help the team uh, or just invite them over for dinner. Ask our elders how you can pray for them. Um, yeah, even, even the small things. Keep, keep an eye out for our leaders and the burdens that they're bearing, even the small things, um, and thinking about the ways that maybe we can help with those. Um, uh, for me, when people notice I'm running around on a Sunday still packing up and they tell me where lunch is happening. <laughs> um, even small things like that, it makes you feel um, valued and loved in your service. Um, our leaders, they need our prayer uh, and they need a gospel encouragement too. Um, the, one of the, the greatest gifts you could give to your leaders, one of the biggest ways you could encourage them is just to share with them about how you've been growing in Jesus, what you've been encouraged by in Christ lately. Um, that, that will do um, tons to help our leaders know that what, what they're doing is worth it and see what God's doing um, through their work. Um, that's going to be a huge way to encourage them uh, as they work hard among us and, and, and help them to, to persevere in the long run. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Mings. Uh, I had in mind that this would be like a podcast where I'm asking questions, but then in the end I was just like, nah, I'll just let Megan talk. <laughs> She's got a lot of good stuff to say. And so uh, let's keep going. Uh, as we go to th verse 13 15, it says, Secondly, what, how do we do life together and thrive? Be unified. Let's reach out to one another. It says, Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Let's remember the backdrop, all right, of why this letter was written. 
Paul and his associate Silas were in this city and the people wanted to arrest them. But what happened? Acts chapter 17, verse 6. I've got it on the screen, I think. Acts 17, 6. It says, But when they did not find them, they're looking for Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Right? Think about the context. There was this thing back then called the Pax Romana, right? by the Roman Empire, the peace of Rome. And the Jews were saying, Jesus and the Christian church, they're threatening that peace. They're saying Jesus is anti-Caesar, anti-emperor. And so these commands are to show the world around them what kind of life they should uh, be living so that they can stand out, so there's nothing to accuse the church of. And the first thing Paul says, stand out by living in peace. And there's this idea of unity here, eh? to love one in, in unity amidst the differences we might have. I mean, if we were disunified, always fighting, infighting within the church, how does that model the love of Christ? Yes, in a church made up of individuals of different backgrounds and cultures and, and, and history and even political differences, this need, this need is to tell the church, hey, live in peace. That's really important. Because there will be times of conflict, there will be times of differing opinions, there will be times where we feel unheard or dismissed or we just might clash. Live in peace. Paul says, because we know the God who's given us peace in Christ. He also says, he warns each other not to be idle or disruptive. And that, that idea is, is how are we going to contribute to this community? Are we going to be just lazy, complacent, idle? Are we just causing trouble, disruptive, consuming resources but not helpful to the vision and kingdom of God? We must warn and remind each other. God has gifted us. He's given us opportunities and desires for us to be loving one another, to be serving one another, contributing, not just consuming, so that Jesus can be honoured. And so the church community can thrive. So if you see a brother or sister idle or disruptive, warn them, call them out. Because we do it in love and gentleness. But we want to do it because we want to see people mature in their faith. Because we all are unified around the same goal, to see God glorified, to see Jesus honoured. Do it because you love the church. Do it because you want to see one another thrive. Megan, thoughts? Um. Uh, the next part, I mean, like encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, being yeah. patient. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, um, I, I kind of like some of those verses. Um, they're challenging, um, but I think it's helpful the way they, they show us um, different ways to encourage different people at different times. Um, for example, um, I notice sometimes uh, when people are late for church, um, no, you notice? I'm not. I'm not throwing shade on anyone who was late today, um, <laughs> but uh, I need to. I need to slow down sometimes and ask um, why before I know how to encourage somebody. Um, are they the the idol in this passage? Um, they've been messing around on Instagram and they've set their alarm as late as they possibly can. Um, they they haven't thought about the opportunity to love the newcomer today. Um, they might need exhortation to see that opportunity, to see um, how much we love having them here. Um, but maybe, maybe this person isn't the idle one. Maybe they're the disheartened one in that passage. Um, maybe they've used all of their energy just to be here today. They've circled the block a couple of times because they didn't want to be early and have to tell you how they are when you ask. Um, 
for them it's late or never. Um, so for that person, um, I might want to just tell them how encouraged I am that they're here saying Jesus is worth it with their presence um, and maybe sit next to them so they don't have to pretend with someone else today. Um, different people, different ways to encourage um, in similar circumstances. But um, yeah, to do that, we really need to uh, we nearly, really need to be slow to judge and quick to listen uh, if we're going to be able to know how to love and encourage different people at different times. Mm. Um, yeah, if we're going to be able to know what kind of gospel medicine my, my brother or sister needs. Um, yeah, and that, that slowness to judge and that quickness to listen, that'll help us with all those other parts of that, those couple of verses where it talks about peace and patience and seeking good, not payback. Uh, it, it, it's going to be complex, isn't it, to, to love each other well as a church community of different uh, flawed people um, as we seek to love each other well. But it's going to be beautiful when it works as well. Mm, I love that. And I think those few verses there are really just uh, narrowing in the idea of what church is. Like when we come to church, it's often uh, I, go, I come for me. But what if we were to um, be secure in who we are, in, in who we are before God as one of his children, as, one of, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and come to church thinking about one another? Because that's what these verses are really uh, zeroing in on, right? How, much, how do we love one another in the church? Church life isn't about just me. It's about one another. How we're thriving in a church family is about how do we uh, connect and be unified around that vision to love God together as God's people. But lastly, a church thriving is one that's dependent on Christ. I'm going to group these last ones together. Dependent on Christ, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice always when we're centered upon the Christ who suffered for us, before us. We worship a God who has experienced every temptation, every struggle, who knows our hearts, who knows our sins, and chooses to love us still chooses to forgive us still we can rejoice out of that gratitude for christ and give thanks in all circumstances when we look at the cross of christ god wants us to live out of that place operate out of a christ-centeredness so that we'll have an outlook on life a perspective on life marked by rejoicing and continuous prayer and dependence and when we do that we're not what verse 19 quenching the spirit of god we're dependent on christ and prayerfully led by the spirit of god to love Christ, to love others around us. And so the Spirit of God leads us and directs us, doesn't it? We do these one another commands, not just, uh, not just sacrific sacrificially, but with rejoicing. Yes, we do have to sacrifice time and energy to love others, but we do it with joy. And we, come, we come at it with gratitude, knowing that God who loved us first. We know His love, so we can operate out of a heart that's secure in His love. That's what it looks like to not quench the Spirit. Verse 20 says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. When it talks about prophecy here in the New Testament, it's a bit different to the Old Testament prophets. Right? They come and they talk about the future. They come with a word of God, like a direct word. Uh, it's a prophecy to, the, to Israel. But in the New Testament, when that word prophecy is used, it's more like a word of exhortation, encouragement. That's what we mean by exhortation. A word of encouragement to live out the gospel, to live out the scriptures. So when we prophesy to one another, uh, it's not so much about your future, but more about how we can live out our faith in the future. Do you know what I mean? So it's that encouragement to live out being a Christian in our world today. We should test these prophecies. And that's what it says here. It should test, hold on to what is good. 
Because sometimes when we, uh, in, uh, when we think about what's helpful for others around us, it might not be helpful. <laughs> we need to come, out, come with words that don't enable evil, but enable doing good. When we live with Christ at the center as the will of God for us, it's going to look like that. Rejoicing, prayerful dependence, not quenching the spirit, and doing what is good in the way of life together. So we want to acknowledge our leaders. That's the first thing. We want to minister and serve one another love. And we want Christ to be at the center of this community. That's what it's going to look like to have a thriving and flourishing church. Uh, rejoice when you're happy. Pray when you have time. Give thanks when you get what you want. No, did I misread that? <laughs> um, the call, this, this isn't a call bound by our circumstances, is it? Um, whatever is happening, uh, rejoicing, prayer, thanksgiving, that's always the order of the day. Because we don't need God for 15 minutes in the morning. We need God with every breath. Um, uh, have you noticed uh, at Providence here the way that we pray? Uh, we usually start with praising God and thanking him for things before we ask him for stuff. Um, that's on purpose. Uh, <laughs> and, and for me, uh, praying like that, that structure in prayer, um, has actually built a habit of saying, thanks, Father, <laughs> whenever I start to pray. Um, and, 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 and that help, that habit, it helps my heart so much. Um, my first impulse is to thank God. And so even, uh, even on the hard days, even especially <laughs> with the hard things, um, my habit is to say, thanks God, um, and to, to cling on to the things about God that is uh, sturdy and good and, and hopeful, um, remembering his generous goodness. Uh, and then it's out of that <laughs> that we then ask God to act for us. Um, and know that he will do it uh, because we know his goodness and generosity and we've just remembered that uh, as we've thanked him and as we've praised him. Um, it's, our, it's our thankful rejoicing that gives the foundation then to ask God to, for things in prayer. Um, yeah, this, these verses about praying continually, they remind me of holidays with my two-year-old chatterbox of a nephew who just wants to share every tiny little thing that he sees with you. Um, and, and God must be pretty keen for a real relationship with us if he invites us to, to chat away to him constantly like that. Mm. Um, my, my life hack for praying continually uh, in our everyday lives is to build, uh, build it into the habits that you already have, the things that you're already doing in your day. Um, so pray while you're eating lunch or before you pick up your phone in the morning. Uh, see how many things you can thank God for while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Uh, listen to music that helps you to rejoice in God uh, while you're driving or while you're walking the dog. Um, and these prayers, they don't need to be eloquent speeches if we're praying to God all the time. Uh, it might just be, Father, I need you. Father, help me to trust you. Um, Father, do good here. Um, sometimes that's all the words that we have, but they're really precious words if they point us onto de dependability of, of God, our Father, um, in all circumstances. Mm. Thanks, Megan. I really love your perspective on this, these things, and it's a breath of fresh air for me too. Uh, Paul finishes right this prayer uh, with a prayer for the church in 1 Thessalonians uh, in some final words, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. You can do that. I charge you before, hopefully with other, you know, 
I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When I said the holy kiss thing, maybe just hug. Um, We've heard... COVID safe. We've heard over the last eight weeks what it will look for us to live out the Christian faith in light of eternity. Right? We will face opposition for our faith. It will be hard sometimes to live out Christian ethics, standing firm for what we believe and putting on faith, love, and hope when the world seems so against Christianity, so against uh, what we're about, the God we know and love. But Paul prays for us, the church, that we'll be sanctified. That's the idea of growing in holiness. That growing in holiness, that's the work that God is doing in and through us. Ultimately, as we run this race, as we persevere on this journey through life, as we endure, the the goal for us as Christians is holiness. Do you guys realize that? It's not to stand still or to go backwards. It's to move forward and grow in holiness. So Paul prays for that. He prays that the church will remain in Christ, walking with Christ and pursuing Christ in repentance and obedience for the day our Lord Jesus returns. It won't be easy. Following Jesus produces uh, a countercultural and a holy way of life. It means it's, it's going to be against the current of culture. And, and amidst all the hostility and opposition, Christians are called to respond in what? Generosity, in love and faith. But it's only possible because it's motivated by the hope we have in the return of Jesus and the heavenly kingdom to come. We live in light of eternity, and if we have eternity, Christians, we might get battered, we might get bruised, but we can stand firm in faith because we know Christ will return, don't we? And he'll bring us with him. But as Paul prays, he prays that God will do that in us, that God who is faithful will sustain us through it all. As we finish this series, let's trust that God is with us. He's doing a mighty transforming work in and through us individually, but as a church family as well, through the Spirit in our hearts. Let me be your life coach for just one minute and say this. Stand for Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the hope we have in him. Keep on going. Pursue holiness. Live a life of faith, home, and love. You'll find that the obstacles you face aren't so bad after all. You'll find you'll have courage to overcome the next challenge in life because you've got Christ. You've got this, friends. You've got this. Let me empower you. You've got this because God has got this. Because God is faithful. He will carry us through. Let me pray for that now. Father, may you by your spirit, may you work in us and through us to be the people you want us to be, a people of faith, love, and hope, whose lives reflect the goodness and grace of the gospel we have in Christ. May we stand firm knowing that we have the future hope of eternity. We belong to that day that you've promised to those who are in Christ. And Lord, may that empower us to be a people, Lord, that, that, that are doing life together with love and care for one another and in prayerful dependence upon you. Please convict our hearts of these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.